0: Is that good? All right, good. I like this better anyways. Um, Yeah, so just to kind of set up a backdrop on two weeks ago when Jeff preached, he was preaching uh, on uh, Jesus feeding the 4,000. And um, now we come to this point of scripture where now the Pharisees, um, they're here looking for more signs. Okay, so that's where we're going to kind of continue from there. So again, here this is the passage, verses 11. It says, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? So now we're on the cusp of yet another miracle. And we see the Pharisees arguing with Jesus and again seeking for another sign from heaven. And this appears to be a very common common theme in the gospels that we see and uh, where the leaders and the religious leaders are constantly uh, looking for something miraculous to happen. Um, and we see that also in John four forty eight, 48. Um, and that says, so Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. We see it again in Luke 23, 8, where Herod was hoping to see signs performed by Jesus. And again, later on, we see in Luke eleven sixteen, others to test him, were demanding of a sign from heaven. So this was kind of like a theme where all the time the, the, the religious authorities, the, the, the Pharisees, they were constantly pressing and testing Jesus to, to see more of these miracles. The sad part about all this is that the Pharisees were not seeking truth. They were simply seeking to test. Now in the Greek, the word test It's the word perazo. And perazo is basically to test, but it's in the negative sense. So it wasn't done in a good way. They were just, they were trying to discredit him. So they were always doing it negatively, testing him. Their hearts were hardened to what was unfolding before them. Their hearts were closed to the possibility that Jesus was the one true Messiah. And they would even um, invalidate Christ. And they would say things like, the miracles that Jesus does, well, that's from the power of Beelzebul. And we find that in Matthew 12, Matthew 12, 24. And they would turn the people against Jesus. The Pharisees had just experienced this miraculous event, yet they look for and make every excuse to crush what Christ did. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4, and it says this. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So see, the thing is here, the Pharisees have been blinded to this gospel, to the glory of Christ. Their minds have been veiled. They can't see what Christ is doing before them. But listen to what John pens here in uh, chapter 12, verse 40. He says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts, and I would heal them. Reminds me of the story of Saul. He's persecuting Christians. He's on his way to Damascus. The Lord meets him blinds him, um, and sends him off to, to go see Ananias. Ananias lays his hands on him. They pray, and Saul, um, and Saul experiences the unveiling of both the physical sight, but primarily, primarily the scales from his heart are removed when he hears the truth. So, we see these two things that happen. So, we always look at Paul's conversion with something physical, but something uh, spiritual happens to him here. And this leads us to the first category of the human heart the unrepentant, unregenerate, veiled from what is true, close to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That no sign on earth could break that heart of stone or uncover the spiritual eyes uh the scales from their eyes and we see Jesus' disappointment we see that in verse 12 where he says and he sighed deeply in his spirit and said why does this generation seek a sign truly i say to you no sign will be given to this generation and that word uh he sighed deeply again i like to go back to the greek because it does such a good job the word is anastasio Anastenazo, I apologize. Anastanazo. And basically Anna is looking from down to up. And Stazo is um it's gonna be like a a deep groan. So Jesus is basically doing like like kind of like something so, something like that. And I guess that would be something comparable to like, you know, like when me and Tim were playing hockey and he misses a wide open net and then he's like, ah, oh, Kind of like that. He anistonazzled there. Uh, or let's say when our kids fail us and we just told them, okay, Ethan, don't touch that. And then you walk away. And guess what he's doing? He's touching it. And you're like. So Jesus is kind of frustrated right now with the Pharisees and what he sees unfolding before them. So Jesus indicates deep emotion here because of the Pharisees' lack of faith and the hardness of their hearts. The ones who were so well versed, so knowledgeable of the scriptures, could not recognize their own Messiah when he's right in front of them. And Matthew fifteen fourteen says this, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Jesus is basically calling out the Pharisees that they don't got it all together here. And that they're falsely leading the people. Then Jesus leaves them and he goes to the other side. Jesus wants nothing to do with them for this time. Their acts of rejection have driven the Lord away. So that's the first portion that we're kind of uh, th- that we covered here, and that's where the Pharisees demand the, the sign. Now we're going to move on to the second portion of the text. So I'm going to read uh, Mark 14, <clears throat> Mark 14 to 21. And they had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus aware of this said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, and how many basketfuls of broken pieces did I take up? And they said, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? So again here, verse 14 starts off on the topic of bread. And now we see the disciples discuss and argue how they forgot to bring bread for their voyage, uh, having only brought one loaf. Now, Jesus begins to teach them by using bread imagery and warns his disciples and says, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of Herod. Now, I don't bake. I don't really know anything about it. But to to people that bake here, I guess they know what leaven is. And the definition for leaven is it's a substance, typically yeast, and it's used to make dough rise. There is another definition, however, to leaven, and leaven is also a uh, pervasive influence that modifies something or transforms. So we kind of look at it like that. We'll see it a little bit different. Though Jesus is using bread imagery, there's something deeper in that. But it's Jesus warning us here about the danger this leaven possesses. Now yeast, it's microscopic in size. And only a little bit is kneaded, uh, basically massaged or squeezed into the dough. Yet given some time, the yeast will spread through, that, through the entire dough. So what is this leaven that Jesus is talking about? The leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod. When leaven is used in the context in New Testament scripture, it always indi- indicates or illustrates influence. Specifically here when Jesus uses it, it's, it's either evil or sinful influence. And Jesus is, caution- is cautioning his disciples. He's saying, watch out against false teaching. Watch out against hypocritical behavior. Watch out against sinful influences. And then when we look at the second part of the leaven, the leaven of Herod, we can kind of puzzle it together if we back up a couple of chapters uh, and we hear the story of, um, of Herod where he marries uh, his brother Philip's his wife, right? So we can kind of see all that, that, that immoral conduct that's there. So Jesus is, again, warning them about this. And also we see uh, this leaven may also include possibly their unbelief, their opposition to Christ, Their sinful ambition. So the Lord is cautioning us, be careful. Beware. In Mark 3, 6, the Herodians together with the Pharisees, they plot the death of Jesus. It's not just the Pharisees that are involved in this. The Herodians are also right up there. Mark 12, 13, they join together with the Pharisees to trick or trap Jesus in a lie. Acts 12, 1-2, they're responsible for killing James. So again, Jesus is saying, beware of the leaven of Herod. Paul, when he writes the Galatian church, he says this, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Just the dash of compromise, religious hypocrisy, False teaching can taint a whole person. And religious leaders had this strong, strong influence. And Jesus is warning his disciples, be careful. Verse 16, and they began, let me just read that. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Now, let's pause for a second here. This, this kind of just, it boggles my mind. Just half a dozen verses ago, Jesus multiplies the bread. So he feeds 4,000. A couple chapters before that, he multiplies for the 5,000. And now you have the disciples that have one loaf and they don't think Jesus has this. Like it's just, it's really like, it does, I don't understand because it's not like it was like a long time ago. We're talking about like a couple verses down. And it's like they've already forgotten. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Epic fail for the disciples here. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples a spiritual lesson, and all they can think about is filling their bellies and how they're going to manage to eat in the boat and how to feed everybody. Again, just another anastanasia moment where, you know, Jesus kind of would raise his head and say, like, I don't get it, guys. Jesus then has to once again remind his disciples the God that they serve and he says, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? And basically, Jesus goes through it and reminds them about the feast that they went through, the five thousand, the four thousand, and how many basketfuls they had filled after each one of these miraculous events, and says to them, Do you not yet understand? In the Bible, to remember means to both understand but also to act upon that knowledge. So, whenever Jesus says, "basically remember," it's it's not just a, it's about understanding, but also being understanding and applying it also. And in verse uh, same same uh, same book, uh, chapter six fifty two, this is the scene where Jesus is walking on the water and he gets into the boat. <clears throat> verse fifty two says. So they're, they're kind of fascinated at what just happened, and then something comes to them, and they, it says in verse four, uh, 52, it says, for they did not understand about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. So it was something that came to them at, at that moment, but they just still didn't understand the miracle of, of, uh, of the, for the multitudes with the, uh, with the bread. And here, their failure to understand is rooted in their hardness of heart. Hardness of heart, uh, it's like a calloused heart. Uh, in the Greek, it's portal. And it's kind of like, uh, I mean, good example, when I learned guitar, my, um, my fingers were all cut up from the strings, and then slowly but surely, you'd, you'd get like these calluses that would kind of grow, and then you'd cut those, and then you know another layer of skin would grow on it. And basically what they're saying here is that these hearts are calloused and hard, they're impenetrable. So Jesus reminds them again. says, guys, I fed the 5,000. I fed the 4,000. Look how much we had left over. And this points to God's complete work of provision. So that's, that's kind of what he wanted to display to his disciples, that I got this. It's not about how much we have left over, that, that you that. that God's completed everything in him, that we have our sufficiency in Christ. Listen to, this verse, uh, listen to this passage in John 6. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that's been given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Amen? The disciples could not see or remember their deep need for Christ. They failed to identify, as we read in the passage, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Find that in Matthew 4. They fail to see their fullness in Christ. John 4, 31 to 34 says, Meantime, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples started saying, Has anyone brought him food to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to accomplish his work. That Christ fulfills both our physical and our spiritual need like no one can. That Christ is enough. So, this leads us now to the second category of the human heart. The disciples had seen unbelievable authority and miracles through Christ, they had recognized his divinity. He was the long-awaited Messiah, but their spiritual understanding was blinded by their hardened hearts. The disciples dropped everything, and they followed Christ. Could it be that they had the head knowledge, but their hearts were uncircumcised, that their hearts were calloused, untrusting, unbelieving? Here in the North American church and even in the Western church, it seems like we have so many professing Christians with knowledge of God, but uncircumcised hearts, unregenerate hearts. Or sometimes it's the opposite. There's Christians, prof- professing Christians that have all the knowledge up here. They know every biblical term, every doctrine, yet they lack the love from their creator or for his created. Their hearts are hardened from the truth. Brothers and sisters, be careful and watch out for the leaven of this world. This brings me to the final paragraph. And this is where Jesus heals a blind man at Bethsaida. Let me read that again just to refresh our minds. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out to the village. And when he had spit on his eyes... And laid his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. But they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not enter the village. For the first ten verses we've been discussing, spiritual blindness we've been, in a way, discussing spiritual blindness. The Pharisees, the disciples had hardened hearts where they couldn't really see Christ, the sufficiency in Christ. But interestingly, or maybe purposefully, Mark pens right now an actual story of a blind man. And we see Jesus take the blind man by the hand takes him outside of the village, which is also very interesting. Jesus spits on the man's eyes. And the blind man's vision is restored, but it's partially restored. Now, now why is that? In Mark 7.33, so just uh, chapters before, Jesus heals a deaf and mute, mute man, and it only took one attempt. But here we see the opposite. We see it done in two different ways. Um, Two parts. But here Jesus has to lay his hands on him a second time to restore his sight. Could it be that Jesus was testing him? Could it be that that Jesus was maybe trying to draw the man's faith out? Scripture doesn't tell us this, but we can assume that, that there was a purpose for it. I suppose the, the man could have just got frustrated, stomped off, and, and just kind of walked away frustrated and said, yeah, hey, I kind of knew that nothing would happen, but that's not the case. But the blind man puts his trust in his Savior. He goes through the process where his eyes are opened, his eyes are restored, and he can see clearly. And here we see our third and final category of the human heart. Though we are dealing specifically here with physical blindness, it paints a picture of salvation. A Saul-type experience, where in faith, this blind man comes to Christ in his weakness and in his need. And he puts his trust in the only one that could save him physically and spiritually. And in Revelation, uh, in the letters to the churches, uh, the messenger, or in some versions it says angel, he reminds the lukewarm church in Laodicea in Revelation 317. Uh, he says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The posture of this man is that of humility. The blind man recognizes His need of a savior and he seeks out the Lord. During Peter's sermon at Pentecost, he quotes Joel and he says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is our hope in the good news of the gospel. The blind man calls and he's met with compassion, with grace, with mercy, with restoration, with healing. Now, just to conclude, so this would be my question to those here, to those live streaming that are listening, maybe even for the first time. Where do you fall? Scripture calls us to self examine. Scripture tells us to examine our hearts, to see where we stand with the Lord. Have you hardened your heart? Have you suppressed the truth? spiritually blinded by your desires and your sins. But there is hope. A God that wishes that none should perish but that all would come to repentance. And as we read earlier that if only we would turn that Jesus would heal us. That was in John 12:40. Or maybe like some of the disciples earlier in the gospels your hearts your hearts are calloused you have the knowledge maybe you even grew up in church you know all the right things to say but your spiritual understanding is blinded by your hardened hearts you have a god that wants to heal you or maybe like Saul you've had your damascus moment where the lord has revealed himself to you you were once blind, but now you see. Praise the Lord. I'll leave you with this passage, and we're going to take communion together. Psalm 146.8 says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. And the Lord loves the righteous. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the promise that your word never comes back void. That when it goes out, um, I pray, Lord God, that it would convict hearts. And if we have hardened hearts, Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that you would meet us where we are. That you would break that heart of stone and and replace it with a heart of flesh. Help us, O Lord. Help us, O Lord, now also as we... Begin communion, God, and we examine our hearts. We examine where we are with you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.